I want to tell you a story about three grown sons. They were rather competitive. They had all been fairly successful in their careers, and they had a mother who was hard to buy for for Christmas. Any of you have a mom that's hard to buy for for Christmas? Raise your hand. Come on. And so they tried to sort of outdo one another year after year, and this year was the biggest of all. So the first uh, brother says to his other brothers, he says, you know, I had a really good year, and uh, I built mom a brand new house. And it's huge. It's not like that little house that we grew up in. We had to share a bedroom. No, this is a big house for mom, and I know she's going to love my gift. And the second son said, well, you know, that's great, but uh, mom's been a little bit confined. She doesn't get out much anymore, and, and she doesn't drive, so I got her a brand new Mercedes. And not only that, but a, a driver to go with it. So at any time she wants to go out and see the world, she can just be on her own. And the third youngest brother said, you know, well, mom really loves to read the Bible. And her eyesight is failing, and she's having a difficult time, so I got her this parrot. And it's, a, it's an amazing parrot. Let's... And I trained it myself. It took me 10 years to memorize the entire Bible so mom can just ask any Bible verse. It, and it's even better than Google or Bible Gateway or anything. Just... And I sent it to seminary for two years. So it also offers commentary. <laughs> just an amazing parrot. I know mom is going to love my gift the best. So they all gave their gifts that Christmas, and they were sort of waiting to see how mom would respond. And later in the month of January, they got a group thank you note, and it went like this. Thank you, boys, for being so generous. You really shouldn't have. You were just over the top with your gifts this year. Bruce, I love the house, but it's kind of big. And I find myself sort of just living in one room anyway, but I have to clean the whole house. But thank you for the thought. It was very nice of you anyway. And Glenn, the car is great, but, you know, I don't really go that many places, just down to the grocery store and out and around. I, it was a little excessive, don't you think? And the driver, well, he's sort of rude, so I don't really go out a whole lot. But thank you, it was the nice thought, anyway. Oh, but Jerry, Jerry, yours was the smallest gift, I know, but boy, did that chicken taste great. <laughs> Now, we are in the most intense phase of the gift-giving of Christmas, tonight and tomorrow, right? And some of our gifts will be received with delight. Some of our gifts won't quite hit the mark. Any of you trying to buy gifts for teenagers? You know what I'm talking about? That doesn't always connect. And some of our gifts will be entirely misunderstood. So we better pray. Oh, gracious God, we are excited and exhausted. We are on the edge of our seats and ready to fall asleep. But waken us up to the joy and the mystery and the real gift of Christmas. Your love alive in the world. Your love alive in the world. Amen. So there's been a little bit of hype about a movie lately. Just a little. Unless you've been living under a rock, you probably haven't heard about 
Star Wars The Force Awakens, but I imagine you have. This is a movie that people have been expectantly waiting for for years to come out. And in the last couple of weeks, the sense of urgency and frenzy has gotten rather intense. There have been people who've been lining up for a week ahead of time, even though they had reserved tickets with a seat for this movie. There have been people who come dressed up, and they've got the latest and greatest new improved lightsabers, better than before, the original models. And it's been quite an amazing thing to witness during this Advent and Christmas season. So in the spirit of, if you can't beat them, let's join them, I want to present to you Severna Park United Methodist Church's very own version of The Force Awakens. It really is an epic tale that we tell every year at Christmas about how God chooses to invade the world with the greatest force the world has ever known, the force of love and fleshed. Now, all ad long, we have been asking this question Is love alive? We've been using scripture texts and the song by Sarah Bareilles and Ingrid Michaelson. It's a love song. It's got yearning and it's got desire for relationship. And it's about a God who wants to woo us back, who wants to bring us home ultimately. And tonight we come to Christmas Eve finally with the definitive answer in the child of Bethlehem. Once and for all, love is alive. Now, in a world and in a year where we've had reason to question that, it's important to be here tonight. In a world where we have seen that cult of death, ISIS, make its presence felt in the world. In a year when we have seen too much violence on our own streets, whether it be a shooting in a clinic, or a movie theater, or a military recruitment center. We know the pain of Charleston. We know the pain of San Bernardino. We know all the fear that is out there. We've seen riots in the streets of Baltimore and calls for greater equality and justice for all people. And we've seen refugees streaming across the borders in Europe, looking for a safe place to call home. In a world like this, in a year like this, we need to be reminded that love is very much alive. Now, the love of God that's alive in the world is not always front-page, headline kind of stuff. No, often it is more subtle than that, as subtle and as unlikely as a baby born in Bethlehem. It's as fierce and as strong as someone who takes a stand for justice. It's as powerful as someone who stands alongside the broken and the vulnerable. And I want to take just a few moments tonight on this night when we celebrate God's presence in our midst, God's force awakening in our midst, to talk about some of the places where I've seen God's love alive in the world. I mentioned the refugee crisis. How many of you had your hearts break as we saw scene after scene like this? People struggling in makeshift boats, trying desperately to leave the wars in Syria and to leave dangerous situations in northern Africa and Afghanistan and Iraq and trying to make their ways to a new place for a fresh start. 
heartbreaking scenes, the sheer number of people trying to make their way to a new home. And yet, in the midst of that, we have seen great humanity and great compassion as well. Greece, perhaps the most vulnerable economy in all of Europe, they had their own bailout earlier, if you recall. They struggled. They've had this opportunity thrust upon them. They would never have chosen it. But by all accounts, they have been amazingly welcoming and gracious because they've been the first port of entry for so many of these refugees coming through. And they've done everything they could to make a place for these folks who need a place called home. Germany, who's had a, who knows a painful past of having a chapter of their own history where they tried to push out and exterminate a whole race of people. They have stepped up in the biggest way, and they've welcomed over 100,000 refugees into their midst. And our northern neighbor, Canada, just last week started to welcome refugees. And I don't know, some of you saw the reports coming out of Canada. My heart was just so warm because the Mennonite Central Committee has been doing work there and community organizations and churches and individuals and community groups have raised money and have taken individual families under wing and said, you have a place here. And by early next year, they'll take in 25,000 refugees. When I was watching the news last week and saw the story of this one young family, a mother and her two daughters being given new coats and being given hugs and embraced, it was a scary for both sets of them, right? They did, the, the host family didn't know what they were getting into. Those who were coming from far away had no idea what lay before them. And yet as they were handed a key to their new home, I just was so drawn uh, to that moment and it was a confirmation that whenever we welcome the stranger, whenever we go out of our way to bring in the outcast, God's love is alive in the world. There's a group, an organization that uh, was on Nicole's Facebook page this week, and she posted a link to the group. They're called Compassion Collective, and they're trying to raise funds for refugees just in small amounts, $25, and trying to raise over $10 million. But I love their line. What they say there about the work of welcoming the refugee is we stand with love. We stand with love. Love is alive. Some of you may recognize this woman, when she announced three simple words, she rocked our world. I forgive you. This is Nadine Collier, the daughter of Ethel Lance, one of nine people gunned down in a church in Charleston, South Carolina earlier this year. And at the first public court appearance of Dylan Roof, the troubled young man that had brought this carnage upon this community, upon us as a nation. She stood before that gathered community and before all of us and said those powerful words. She went on to say, you took something very precious away from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But God forgive you and I forgive you. What she was living into, and she and several of the other victims who refused to seek the death penalty for young Dylan Roof, because they knew that the power of forgiveness had power to heal themselves as well as it did to heal this young man. 
And we were witnesses to that. He wasn't, she wasn't just talking to that young man. She was talking to all of us who carry grudges in our families and in our relationships. She was talking about the power of love to wipe away and start anew. That's a love that is alive. And so even though there was great sadness in that community, mixed into that, that pain was these words of forgiveness and these words of hope coming out of a church and a community that knew how to live in the gospel hope of love incarnate. A love that is forgiving is the love of God alive in the world. Back in 1993, in December, a young boy by the name of Isaac Schnitzer set a menorah in his window in Billings, Montana. There's not a large Jewish population out there, but what happened next was just unfathomable. That night, someone threw a cinder block through the window. Here he had lit a candle of hope, and someone had thrown a block of hate. When they went to the authorities to, to say, what can we do about this, they were told, well, the only way that they could assure their safety was to no longer put any symbols in their windows to show that they were Jewish, as if though they had done something wrong. Well, when word of this spread to the community and to the churches in Montana, the, the Alliance of Churches in Montana, and then the particular churches right there in Billings, Montana, took up the cause First, the United Church of Christ rallied their own people. Then they called on other pastors and other churches. And they encouraged people to stand in solidarity with Isaac and his family. And they put 10,000 menorahs in the windows in Billing, Little Billings, Montana. When Isaac drove around the community with his family and saw all of these menorahs in the windows, and shopkeepers who had... No hate, no violence, peace on earth, and signs in their windows. All of these menorahs, he said, I didn't know so many people were Jewish here. <laughs> and his mom said, they're not. But they are our friends. They're not, but they are our friends. The story has now been turned into a children's book. It's called The Christmas Menorahs. And what a fitting title. Because what was done in solidarity with Jews of another faith, our brothers and sisters in this big uh, Abraham family that we're part of, could not have been a more fitting way to honor the Christ child. Ironically, they were, they were supporting a menorah, but they were honoring the fierce love of God that stands in solidarity with those who are vulnerable. Love is alive. Now, as your pastor, I get the privilege of seeing love alive pretty much every week in, in and through this congregation. I got to hang out with our youth this summer out in eastern Kentucky at Appalachia Service Project. It was the 35th year of being out there. I get to see people go every month to Heaven's Kitchen. As a matter of fact, the day after Christmas, our crew will be there in Brooklyn Park uh, serving the hungry and those in need. Here's Brian fixing up uh, the Costa Rica Mission Project Center. So there's a team that goes out to Costa Rica this summer. 
and Nicole trying to hold in all of the stuff that you donated for living well on Wilkins and the children on Wilkins Avenue that we helped support this Christmas. A place of refuge and hope. Serving meals right here in our church building and providing not only a safe place to stay, but a place of radical hospitality for guests who have no place to call home. I've kept up with one of those guests. This is Tiffany. Tiffany stayed with us back in November, and she gave me permission to tell her story. I've been following up with the guests at many of the churches along the way. I've been to see them at several places. And Tiffany, when she had come to us, had just started her sixth day of sobriety. And so I asked her if I could just take a picture of her every day to mark the days of progress. And so while she was here, I took day six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. And then I caught up with her again, and I took day 14, and I caught up with her again, and I took day 21 and day 23, and I saw her this past Monday down in Annapolis. We were there together at the, um, the longest night service, a memorial service for the, the homeless folks in our community in Anne Arundel County that have died this year, 18 people. And after we had read their names and sung Christmas carol and prayed prayers, I caught up with our friends and I, and I reconnected with them and I saw Tiffany and we took day 45. Day 45. And the reason she's there is because she has learned to love herself again and she has learned to accept the love and the strength and the support of other people who are caring for her on this journey of recovery. Love is alive Love is alive. Yesterday, I spent several hours in the hospital at Johns Hopkins. There's a young woman from our congregation, one of our college students. She's a freshman at Towson. And she uh, has not had the typical first semester that she was hoping for. Right in the middle of her finals, she started to have these strange symptoms. She was having some dizziness, and she, uh, she couldn't walk for a little while. And she was lo- So first they thought it was vertigo, and then it turned out it was something more serious. So she's been at Hopkins now for the last couple of weeks. And they've been running test after test after test, and she has sort of a rare neurological thing going on with her. They're still not sure all the details. But I sat there and I talked with her mom yesterday for about an hour. And her mom was sharing with me how scary this has been. And her mom was sharing with me how difficult it's been. And they've been taking turns, she and her husband, just spending nights there and and trying just to talk with her, even when she couldn't respond to them back. And try to advocate with her, with the doctors, and the next steps that she's going to have to take to get rehab, to sort of learn how to to walk with full strength again. And her hearing has been affected by this. And there are a lot of hurdles for her. And in the middle of that pain, in the middle of that anguish, I told this mom, I said, this is what love does. When you love your daughter this fiercely, you wait with her, you hope for her, you pull for her, even if you can't do anything else other than be there for her. And I think that's what this force awakening in the world is like when God comes to us in Jesus. For his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God is simply with us through the really good stuff and through the really bad stuff, through the times when life is great and through the times when we don't know how to put the next foot in front of the other. God is with us and we can be with each other 
And when that happens, love is alive in the world. Now, I get to do some pretty fun stuff in my job, too. It's not only going to hospitals, it's getting to hang out with three- and four-year-olds during the month of December. And if you want to have some fun during the month of December, you hang out with our nursery school kids. Am I right, Heidi? And I got a chance to tell Christmas stories on these steps a couple of weeks ago and then catch up with our preschoolers again this past week as they were singing for their parents and jingling their bells. Pictures were being taken about every seven seconds, of course, as they should be. And then there was a visit from a guy with a long beard. And they were sitting on his lap and telling, telling what they wanted, and they got sh- stories, stories and hopes and a little gift. And as I was making my way back to the office after I'd taken some pictures there, there was a little boy na- by the name of Maverick. And Maverick was trying to get into the sanctuary. He was sort of making an escape. And his dad was close in pursuit and trying to say, no, 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 come back here to the fellowship hall. And when I saw he so badly wanted to go to church, what's a pastor supposed to do (laughs) but help him get in the church? So I said, come on in. I'll turn the lights on for you. And so we came into the sanctuary. And I started pointing out the stars and the banners and all of the decorations and the candles. And he was just soaking it all in. And then he was sort of looking up and looking forward as he moved into a pew right over there. And he said this. He said, is this where they come to see Jesus? Is this where they come to see Jesus? Now my hunch is that that's why you're really here tonight. Just in hopes of catching a glimpse of this love incarnate, this love enfleshed, this Jesus who is the sign of God's awakening in the world. If we can just sense it for a moment, God's own Son, that pure, holy light that we'll sing about in Silent Night. Love is alive. And so on this Christmas Eve, I invite you to come close to that love's pure light. I invite you to feel this love, to witness this love, to let this love wash over you and through you and overflow you out to the world. Because the greatest force that the world has ever known has awakened in Bethlehem. You see, once upon a time, In a Galilee far, far away, a brave teenage mom and a scared dad came to Bethlehem, and they gave birth to their first child, and they named him Jesus, Love Alive. Or in the words of Luke Skywalker, the force is strong in my family. My father has it. I have it, my sister has it, and you.